Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. As always, we're your hosts, I'm Will, that's Blake, I pointed the right way the first time, and <laughs> today we're here to talk some Critical Role. Um, <clears throat> a big episode, honestly, back with Huge. Team AOL. Um, Huge episode. Very excited to dive into this one, uh, but as always, before we do, a couple of quick announcements. Um you know, we've got our recurring series going on Worlds Beyond Number. Be sure to check that out if you haven't. We are covering The Ravening War, which episode three just um, aired. And from a reliable source that it was a pretty good one. It was a pretty good one. I've seen it. Um, it, was, it was you. you. You're the one who told me it was good. <laughs> um, which I won't we won't dive into it now, obviously. But um, yeah, some stuff to talk about there. And uh Tonight, actually, we have the premiere of Candela Obscura, the new show, the new series from Critical Role uh, that will be premiering on the off week, the last Thursday of each month. At least that's my assumption for the um, foreseeable future. Um, <clears throat> so that starts tonight. They already put out a um, YouTube quick start guide for those of you who are interested that kind of quickly explains the rules and the I mean, yeah, the rules and kind of the roles and kind of a little mm. bit of the flavor of the game. Yeah, uh, would you, would have you, you watched it, it yet? Yeah, I did. I thought it sounded really cool. Um, yeah, there's without getting like in the weeds, just like an extremely high level for our players or our, our viewers. There's this kind of interesting dynamic of um, adding dice to your roles to make it more successful, basically, or the odds more successful or choosing to take a worse role so that you can add dice back to like your storage of dice you can use later. I know I just butchered that explanation, but <laughs> I think that kind of nuance, that kind of technical play is pretty interesting coming from D&D &D where everything you aim to do, you always want to be successful in it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's kind of an interesting, you know, uh, strategy involved with it. Yeah, I think it sounds really cool. And um especially a cool element uh i mean in any in any setting obviously but i think it it's almost a little bit even cooler in like this horror setting of like mm -hmm. you know i could choose to do worse here um i think it will make for some really interesting like character driven moments um <clears throat> and the whole like scar system seems pretty cool too which we i don't want to dive into it here we'll probably talk about it we're going to be covering that show as well so we'll probably talk more about like the rules and stuff in our episode one discussion of that um so be looking forward to that for those of you that are going to be checking it out and um as always we also have a discord it'll be linked down in the description below um we usually we you know come there just to theory craft chat what have you but we also typically do like live chat watch alongs for the content uh which we do every thursday for critical role and so we are going to be doing that tonight as well for candela obscura so for those of you checking it out you know hop on hop on in and join us should be uh should be fun yeah. Anything else? To... I think I think that is all, my friend. Uh, <clears throat> this is like not really an announcement, but Diablo Four releases in seven days. So my Next friend and I, weekend, man. Yeah, we're gonna be playing and enjoying it. Um, and if you uh, if you like Blizzard games, uh, I, we're not gonna have a channel for it in the Discord, but we might chat about it a little bit in the Discord. So uh, yeah. don't be a stranger. You know, we do have Hearthstone in the Discord. You know, which is a uh, labor of pain from will but <laughs> you know there's some even if you're not a critter there's some there's some stuff available there for you if you want to engage so that's my yeah. last announcement i guess yeah yeah we've got um yeah you can talk about anything you want in the discord we got chat we don't necessarily have a channel for everything but there's a place for it um <laughs> so and yeah. yeah we can always make a new one so mm -hmm. yeah i didn't i mean i knew it was coming out but i didn't realize we were a week away yeah yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, so for any of y'all that are going to be playing, let us know in the comments. Maybe we can group up or something. Yeah, that'd be really fun, actually. Um, all right. <clears throat> okay. Well, without further ado, um, you know, I'm sure most of you know the drill by now, but we are going to dive into our recap of the episode before we discuss it, uh, and we host that recap by itself separately. So if you're listening to the recap video right now and you want to hear our full thoughts, that video will be linked in the description below. Um, but my friend, if you would like to take us off today. 
Yes. Uh, so uh, just disclaimer, a lot happens in this episode. Uh, this is episode 59, somewhere out there. And like Will mentioned, this is the return to Team AOL. Uh, picking up where we left off in the previous episode where a teleportation spell, seemingly we don't know what ended up with the other party, but we are back immediately after the beginning of the Apogee Solstice, like I mentioned, with Team AOL. And they find themselves in this geyser-like, crater-like gorge of sorts. And similar to what we saw with the other group, the immediate reaction is, where is everybody? Like, I can't, like, where's Chetney? Where's FCG? Where's Fern? Where's Imogen? Um, Ladna is worried that something might have happened to Imogen. Uh, and again, like we saw with the other group, they immediately start sending out sending spells that fizzle and go nowhere. Uh, we see Orem is going to try to use his Sending Stone to connect with uh, Dorian, and it doesn't work. And also a message is sent to Caleb Widogast, and again, it doesn't seem to work. So nothing new. Um, we've, come we've become familiar from the previous episodes that because of this Apogee Solstice that certain magics aren't working. And the party essentially not knowing where they are. Uh, there is a history check from Ladna where they surmise they might be in one of three locations, uh, but ultimately decide they need higher ground to figure out kind of where they are, what's happening. It's the middle of the night. Uh, they do see Ruidus in the distance. And Orm begins to wonder if possibly they're on another continent. So... Um, as they climb the gorge, uh, they're avoiding these exploding geysers uh, and also a clicking sound of some sort of creature in the darkness that uh, they're very much keen not to run into. Uh, they make it to, the, to this ledge towards the top of the gorge uh, of this crater, and we meet one of our first guest characters. We have Amy Carrero, who rejoins the table. Uh, as a new character, Ooh. Mona, who we come to find out later, her name is Denise. Uh, she is a, I just think of like the dwarven version of Ashton. Because um, there was like the <laughs> tattoo that yeah. instead of like, I love mom, it was just me. Uh, and it's this dwarven woman who immediately is like, who are you? What's going on? You guys look really bad, by the way. Like you, like, you, you look like you've been beat up. And they're kind of like, well, who are you? What's going on? Like, how did you get here? And they all very much realized they have a similar story in that they just, it's almost like they blinked and they were here. Mona tells a story about um, she was looking at her fiance, like from a distance, was like, hey, and then heard a voice, which we know is, excuse me, um, a Ludeness's voice. And then she was suddenly here. She doesn't know why. Um, she offers some liquor to the group and they're like, yeah, after what we've been through. Uh, and they continue to climb this crater, uh, essentially talking about, um, you know, who they are, you know, uh, or sort of giving Mona the down low. And also asks, like, is Mona your real name? Because Mona, they, there's this mo moment where they're like, so what is your name? And she's like, uh, Mona. <laughs> kind of like a very, I'm Ron Burgundy-esque yeah. way. <laughs> um, Ladna is going to send out Pate to um, go to the bottom of the gorge and then also just use Pate as sort of a scouter, uh, but not much is figured out there. And they eventually make their way out of the crater into this amazing lush forest uh, that is nearby. Uh, among this forest, or I should say rather in the distance, is a series of mountains, one in particular that rises above all the others. It's this, this magnificently large mountain peak. Uh, and Orm tries to do a history check to kind of clock what it might be and is unable, has a poor role and is unable to remember what it could be from, from his background. But in the distance, sort of the edge of the forest landscape, they see some flickering lights, which I think might be a town, and they decide to maybe head that direction. Um, but along the way, Mona sees in the distance a small, ruddy campfire uh, which they decide to sneak up on. And we have another uh, guest who comes to the table, uh, Utkarsh Mbutkar. I think I said it right. I'm not sure if I did. I apologize uh, if I didn't. Um, but he joins the table as Bordor Dogson, a sheep herder 
a um, and in fact, as the group's coming up, he claims to be a sheep herder. You know, I just was I just tend to my flock. <laughs> my dad's a sheep herder. But as the party's coming up, he reactively in surprise is going to cast a level five like lightning bolt or some kind of big attack. And uh, Mona with a nat tw 20 takes half damage, but still takes 23 points of damage. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of like a sort of Mexican standoff, like what's going on here? And Border is very much skittish, and I have no idea what's going on. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> he has his caravan of like, uh, basically he explains that he was traveling all the way in Wildmount. Uh, his brother's been sick. His brother's had a fever for three weeks. He was bringing supplies. Again, heard this voice in his head, and boom, basically opened his eyes here. Uh, and interestingly enough, doesn't know magic, doesn't know how he got his magic, uh, just suddenly is able to use it. Um, and then also, uh, they decided, they basically decided to like make camp for the night. Um, there is also ratchet. Was that like the deer or like the, some animal he had? Yeah. Or? They kept like basically calling it a reindeer. Yeah. So he has a reindeer, you know, who's that <laughs> yeah. uh, named ratchet. And they basically decided to make camp. Um, there is this funny moment where Ashton, they're like, well, do we have any food? And Ashton's like, oh, yeah, I'll jump into the hole and get some food. And they forget <laughs> that a bunch of the, the mercenaries from their attack at the dig site where the Apache Solstice was happening, um, a bunch of dead mercenaries are in the hole. And so they start pulling out bodies, which Bordor immediately is like, uh, <laughs> are you guys bad are people? You people? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, I promise. And Orm gives like a very genuine, you know, very dad-esque, like, hey, we were doing something epic. These are the bad guys. We're the good guys. Um, all this to say, uh, there is another noise coming out from the woods. And we have our third guest character, uh, Emily Axford, who joins the table as Prism. Uh, this, and I'm probably butchering it, but basically kind of, I thought of like kind of like a goth-styled elf. I think from from the Shadowfell? From... Yeah, she said, she kept saying the Shadow Realm, but presumably the okay. Shadowfell. Okay, yeah. Um, and very fun character. Immediately comes in with like this clipboard and is like, excuse me, can I get a, <laughs> I'm here to collect your thoughts on the Apogee Solstice. And she is with the Cobalt Soul and apparently is sort of like this junior mage or assistant mage of some kind who has been sent off to gather feedback from the denizens of Exandria on their thoughts of the Apogee Solstice. Um, Ashton's like, it sucks. I, I give it like a one star. <laughs> Not good. Uh, and uh, Prism has also a spell book uh, named Dinios, I think. I think so, yeah was a former mage turned into a book and gifted to her as an assistant. Um, and basically they, um, they, they, she gives more of a, of a background. And, and in fact, in asking sort of collecting this data, we do find out from Mona that Mona's real name is actually Denise uh, with a dollar sign as the S. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that's it. I think we, I think we break there before we come back to some more things that happen. Am I forgetting any other details? Um, no, just basically that the break happens basically right as this combat encounter is going to happen. Right. They hear something like in the woods. And so they're like, oh, another yeah. person, yeah. because they're all like all these people showing up. But in fact, it's like this uh, this creature. Um, right. And that's where we go to break. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so good job, by the way, on the first half, we pick back up and basically combat is beginning we're rolling initiative but there is this really funny moment um <clears throat> where uh as like everyone's doing their last action preparing for this combat encounter ladna is like i take my form of dread you know all the the tree roots come out and she like you know contorts her neck and it's like i climb backwards up the tree yeah. and she does this right next to bordor who just like starts vomiting <laughs> he's so scared <laughs> it was really funny so um basically this, this reminded me of other things from this combat that he does but i won't spoil it <laughs> <laughs> so basically this uh combat encounter is versus um these corpse flowers and um uh, and i'm i didn't write the exact monster down but i want to say shambling mound some sort of mound uh my apologies for not having it exactly um so people are rolling initiative uh prism immediately casts greater invisibility <clears throat> on herself's on herself and manifests mind on Dinios. 
Um, and also sends her raven, which she has, into combat to join Dinios. Uh, and her raven's name is Mother. Um, again, yeah. Bordor is screaming and vomiting. Um, <clears throat> but <laughs> everyone rolls initiative. And for combat, you know the drill. We're just going to hit the highlights here. Um, but as everyone's attacking, they quickly realize that this creature is um, resistant to fire, which is a bit counterintuitive to what they expected being like this plant monster. Mm-hmm. Um, we do see Ashton utilize, um, their belt of momentum, um, which they got recently, uh, or, you know, it's been so weird with the group splitting up. Maybe it wasn't right. recently, uh, but that gives them an extra D six of damage due to like running up before a strike. So it was cool to see them use that. Um, <clears throat> and as this thing is taking damage, this, um, this mound, it's like shifting its shape and, um, starts to take like a humanoid form at one point. And then that's when these corpse flower entities are also joining in on the fray. Uh, Prism, who again is invisible, <clears throat> is just casting spells from up in the trees through Dinios. Um, and this is her first, like, this is Emily Axford's like first, you know, like real action as part of critical role. Uh, and she casts steel wind strike and gets two natural twenties, and a 26 on the damage roll. So it's just yeah. like <clears throat> immediate, um, just carnage. Uh, so that was awesome. Bordor is terrified and is just struggling this fight, going so far as to just literally lie prone because he's yeah. so scared <laughs> um, to make himself a smaller target. <clears throat> Everyone else is like, are you, you sure you lie down prone in the combat? <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, meanwhile, we have Denise, who is this really cool bard, uh, or not Bard, uh, excuse me, Barb, Barbarian Rogue uh, multi-class, just going in and doing like crazy damage, sneak attack as a Barbarian. It's really cool. Um, so she and Ashton are kind of like taking turns, like pummeling it. Um, <clears throat> combat continues. Um, and as it does, one of the corpse flowers, which is named such because it literally has like bodies inside of it. Um, at one point, it's taking so much damage that it consumes one of the bodies inside of it to heal. Um, so really cool encounter. Um, ultimately Denise gets the, how do you want to do this on one of the plants? Um, or excuse me, the final, how do you want to do this? There's a few of them. Um, uh, the only other big thing in the combat is Orum gets eaten by the plant at one point. And Emily Axford immediately comes in with sending Dinios inside the plant and casting dimension door through it to get them just both back out. Um, in the aftermath of the combat, uh, they decide to set up camp and have a little bit more of discussions. Uh, Prism reveals that, um, her Raven mother is not actually her mother, but is named after the matron of Ravens, who she says, you know, people are all about in the shadow realm. Um, during the combat, the reindeer like ran away scared. So Laudna sends Pate to go out and scout and see if he can find it. And, uh, a lot of discussions here are happening. Where should they set up camp? What exactly that should they do? And they basically come up with this plan to use the corpses that they had in the portable hole to set up as like a decoy camp in case there's any more monsters or anything out that uh, maybe that will get like their attention instead of their actual camp. <clears throat> so they set that up and then they go head off and kind of find this nearby cave to actually sleep in. And once they're in there, um, the members of Bell's Hells basically catch up all of these new people on just what's been happening with them, with Ruidus, uh, with the Apogee Solstice and how this teleportation thing happened. They're basically just getting everyone up to speed on what's going on. And uh, <clears throat> Bordor then says, uh, hey, like what I'm trying to do is get to Pride's Call and Wild Mount. And like he pulls out this like thing in his coat that he had that he said his dad wrote for him, which were like directions or like a reminder of where he's supposed to be going. And he's like, you know, I don't know what's going on or who any of you people are, but like, you seem to know what you're doing. So like, can I come with you? And uh, at that point, they basically decide to, you know, take the night's rest and have their different watches. So first up for watch, we have Bordor and Prism, who basically just make small talk about what they think about the gods after that, you know, have been filled in by Team AOL. Like, Um, you know, should we get rid of the gods? Like, what do you think about this? And um Border, or excuse me, Prism is like, you know, you your newfound magical powers like might be from a god. <clears throat> and he's like, yeah, I haven't even thought about that. And he reveals that he hasn't seen his mother in a very long time and doesn't really remember her that well. Uh, for next up watch, we have Ashton and Laudna. And, you know, this is just classic, awesome RP moments between these two. 
uh, where Ashton is just checking in on Ladna with how she's doing, especially, you know, being separated from Imogen. Um, and, you know, she's just compartmentalizing hard so that she doesn't break. And Ashton's like, you know what? You don't have to. Like, you can talk to me. And she says, well, if I don't, like, I'm just going to I'm just going to break and cry. And, you know, he comforts her and says, you know, no matter what, we're going to get them back, whatever mm -hmm. it takes. Like, you don't leave yeah. anyone behind. <clears throat> Finally, we have uh, Denise and Orem on the third watch. And Denise reveals a little bit about herself, saying that, you know, she got this um, box item from Gilmore, the same Gilmore that Orem is familiar with. And she then reveals that her ex that she's been referring to this whole episode is none other than Dariax, um, the very same Dariax that Orem, you know, was a member of uh, the Crown Keepers with. Uh, and so they have this realization <clears throat> and he's like, oh, my gosh. And she's like, oh, yeah, I've seen your poster everywhere. Um, you're wanted by the Nameless Ones. And he's like, uh, what? <laughs> um, and she says, yeah, like Dariax and I were pre-engaged and we'd been stealing furs. And one day he just left. Then these fur collectors came. So I had to leave. And I've just been tracking him down for months when I finally found him. And just before getting my hands on him is when I got teleported here. And um, that's the gist of their kind of conversations before we have Dawn and night is over and they wake everyone else up um so they said okay let's start traveling to the nearest point of civilization that we can find and as they're going they now do recognize some of the geography around them um they realize that the mountain to the north of them is the ascendant bridge mountain which is known to be the tallest in the world and um because of that and another mountain range which they recognize to be the sunder peak mountain range they realize that they are in a silra um, and as Blake mentioned, they can still see Ruidus, um, uh, kind of far away, but locked in place. And, um, <clears throat> also Pate returns. I forgot to mention that he was unable to find the reindeer and Porter's like, ah, it's not a big deal. We weren't that attached. Okay. Um, and so Prism's like, well, Hey, I have this spell called find greater steed. Like we can use it to get the reindeer back. And he's like, ah, don't worry about it. Maybe another time. <laughs> so they're like, okay. And the group decides, all right, well, let's still head to the nearest city. And that's where the episode ends. Uh, once again, this was episode 59, Somewhere Out There, of Critical Role Campaign 3. And as always, if you want to hear our full discussion, be sure to check the link down in the description below. What a gift of an episode this was. This was a fun one, for it sure. Re it really was. Um, I, it's always fun to see new faces at the table. Um, yeah. And uh, Utkarsh, his um, has he played D and D before? Because it seemed very green, which I thought it was very wholesome, like him, like kind of learning. But then I read some like comment that he had played before or something. Or there's a whole lost. there's a whole conversation to be had about this. But I think he is new, but he has played before because um, I I hadn't seen it, but apparently like Matt had DM'd. For him and some other people before i don't know if it was for like some event or something but um i heard people talking about that so he's okay. still like so maybe he's played twice ever for all i know but at the very least this wasn't his first time ever playing he's at least played yeah okay before well it was fun seeing him kind of re um expose himself to D. &D. that's a weird phrase <laughs> free familiarize himself with it um yeah. that was fun um i thought amy it was so great having her back at the table totally threw me to me have too. her as a different character me too um and then emily axford oh my gosh this person <clears throat> is so freaking funny um maybe my new favorite character <laughs> <laughs> so this, this yeah. week's flavor of the month yeah this three week. really fun <clears throat> guest characters um great energy at the table like there's something very um just fun about this group and i mean i was locked in uh i'm very interested to see where this goes for sure yeah great up um obviously everyone has missed team aol so it was just great to to see those faces at the table again and then of course yeah all the guests were great um we basically have, are already doing it, but, you know, loved the app. I know you did, too. Um, a lot a lot of fun things to talk about. Um, 
which let's just start with the guests like we kind of already are. Obviously, we have Amy back, which is um, a treat. And especially, uh, I mean, it, it, there's no, no really point waxing poetic on this, but obviously it would have been awesome if it was Opal. And therefore, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it was Dorian. Maybe we got the crown keepers. Right. But so I'm not saying that wouldn't have been cool, but it's almost so cool that she's playing a completely different character. I think she's the first or she I'm pretty confident in saying that she's the first guest that's ever played two Mm. separate characters in the same canon. Um, Yeah. Okay. It was kind of cool. Also, having her at the table, um, not uh, as the new person, I guess. Um, Yeah. I guess I'm not, I'm not, I guess what I'm kind of trying to say is, um, she definitely, I felt like compared to season one of Exandria had a lot more confidence or uh, very much like, I was like, yeah, she, I don't ever know what I'm trying to say. Honestly, I just, I think <laughs> it, it's cool just seeing her, you know, knowing, um, I don't know, getting to play D and D with the group again, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that, uh, she was back. And um, I, I don't want to get into this right now, but especially because of some of the like toxicity that came during the first EXU, which a lot of it was directed at her and Abria. Um, so I'm just, I'm very glad that for whatever reason that didn't leave like a sour taste in her mouth, you know, where she was like, okay, like, you know, I loved the experience. I love you guys, but I can't handle like this. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that didn't even happen. So I don't even want to waste time talking about it. But yes, yeah, so glad that she came back. Um, and so cool. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just saying, I do feel bad for Abria though, because Abria is so freaking amazing. And, uh, there was some criticism with EXU and then the f- people, I think, I think if you flipped the arcs and, uh, Abria and Christian's arc came second, there would be kind of a similar fanfare of like, Oh, we get the other group now. So I just feel bad that two of the three times she's been on a critical role show that I feel like she's been a bit unfairly, uh, fairly and unfairly criticized. Um, then again, her third one is calamity, which is, you know, amazing, but, um, just re echoing your comment of, yeah, it's nice to have Amy back and another kind of go, uh, at it. Yeah. And, um, I, I didn't, uh, I don't, I won't, I won't touch on that. We'll just, we'll just keep it moving. Um, but yeah, Abria is freaking amazing and doesn't deserve any of the hate. I, I wasn't seeing too much of it this time around for her personally, aside from just people in general being like, when are we getting the other group? Um, Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, um, and just cool, you know, again, like I already said that she's playing a new character, but, uh, so cool that it's one still kind of deeply ingrained with, with like Dariax and these, these story threads that were already already happening. And it just makes me so curious about like behind the scenes, the conversations she had with Matt, uh, which, you know, obviously yeah. as the DM, but also Dariax. Um, I'm just really curious, like how they came together for this, because for those of you yeah. that aren't aware, obviously Dariax is from EXU. Um, but more than that, during the, you know, pandemic, uh, when they had kind of uh, paused production on the show, um, <clears throat> they launched this side content called Narrative Telephone, which they were able to do like from each of their homes safely. And um, <clears throat> because of that, we eventually got a Narrative Telephone episode where Amy guested and she kind of fleshed out this character of Denise kind of, kind of as just like a joke in this Narrative Telephone episode. But now like that character is canon and it's like the character <laughs> it's the same version of denise she's playing here so if you haven't yeah, um, i need to go back and watch that yeah definitely go check that out if you guys haven't um it's just a <clears throat> it's just a good fun time good concept um yeah but yeah so i'm just curious about <clears throat> okay well actually i'm gonna pause there and, and talk about the other two guests before we dive into like specifics on the episode um Utkarsh, i think is is great. Um, I know a lot of people recognized him from the movie pitch perfect, which I've seen, but I, he didn't ping for me immediately. Uh, never saw it. I know he also has a, a show called ghosts that I think's on right now. Also haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> but he's hilarious. He, yeah. uh, I love, it was really fun. I love the character he's playing, which again, I want to have a deeper discussion on like yeah. 
what is in what is him being genuinely new versus perhaps right. role play. Um, right. And then Emily Axford. Um, you know, Blake and I are we haven't really seen D20. We're watching The Ravening War right now, but that's our kind of first experience with D20. So we weren't familiar with Emily Axford, but that um is a name I have heard over and over and over um for the past couple of years, just hearing about like her accolades and the legend of uh Emily and how she like just terrorizes GMs, but like in a good way. Um and I've seen a couple of clips of like Brennan reacting and obviously I don't have the full context, but it's just so cool to actually see her on Critical Role. I know this was a lot of people's like dream guest to show up. Um and you know at the start of the episode they announced the the Zelda one shot which she was going to be a part of. So I know like in the Discord a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, we finally get Emily Axford at CR. And then so when she actually walked in to be part yeah. of the main campaign, everyone was freaking out. Um, <laughs> and even in just this short sample size yeah. we have of her, like I I get it. Like she's a she's a fantastic actress. Um and also is so like quick and strategic witty. with extremely witty. Yeah, with uh, not only like 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 character moments but like with combat as well um so i'm very excited to see kind of more of her yeah i didn't know anything about her i hadn't i didn't know any of her i didn't know her reputation preceded her um i definitely see why though she was um amazing from the moment she came on to the uh come to came to the table very funny very witty um yeah i'm really excited and then also her conversation with uh bordor I mean, the two of them, not main characters, and then over the campfire during their watch, just kind of a nice little deeper moment. Um, I just thought that was kind of cool, too. Like, here's here's two guest characters who are already yeah. sort of, like, um, confidently, you know, just having this yeah. conversation. I, I just thought that was cool. Just so. immediately kind of thrust into the spotlight. Yeah. Um, yeah, same here. Um, yep. So, yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited to see where this goes um you know i'm curious if we're going to get a similar length of time with them as we did with mm-hmm. the the former group that would be like roughly my expectation but i guess yeah. especially since it's the second and final one really anything could be on the table um so we got seven episodes from the previous group right so we've I, had one some, yeah something like that two three four five six so it could be coming back in mid to late july if if that's a similar timeline i guess yeah um yeah i'm i'm excited to see where this goes i i'm excited for candela obscura tonight me too but um i was bummed we only got one little taste before we went to a break from them um but yeah maybe let's start like big picture from this episode um so we know we know they're in a Silra. Mm-hmm. We know um seemingly ported away like the other group. Uh same issues with like sending spells and what have you. We got a couple of, of new details. Um I don't know if we got the detail of other people hearing Ludinus's voice. Yeah. And other people being randomly teleported. Right, and not just teleported from the site, but right. being teleported. Um, Bordor was all the way in Wildmount and got teleported across the world, basically. Um, what's going on there? Are these are these Rudisborn? Like, is it possible the other group just didn't happen to run into another Rudisborn? I mean, w- what's happening? I don't know. Uh, this was one of my biggest questions for what was going on, because... Yeah, it's very strange. Um, Rudisborn was one of my first thoughts, too. It would at least make sense. Maybe those types of people were affected differently. One interesting potential piece of information is that it seems like Prism was teleporting anyway. Like right. She was teleporting because of the Cobalt Soul to go like right. do this survey. Right. And so maybe in her case she just happened to be teleporting at like the same time the solstice was going on. And so the haywiredness yeah. of magic right. 
right. plopped her out here instead of where she was trying to go. Right. So maybe something similar happened with Bordor, and he's just kind of so oblivious that like you know either he didn't, nobody asked him, so maybe he didn't mention that, or just you know I don't know why he would have been teleporting. Um, <clears throat> but it's at least possible that something like that went on. But he was with the whole carriage and the reindeer and things, so I don't really know if that answer makes sense or not. So aside from they were already teleporting, Rudisborn is my best guess. Um, but what kind of, like I said, prism makes sense. Denise, her, her proximity to Dariax was interesting to me. Like if that had anything to do with it due to the crown keepers tangential relationship to Bell's Hells or even just Opal with the crown and Loth and gods and everything. Like, is there anything that was going on? at or around Dariax in that pivotal moment, that mm. that's what she got sucked into rather than it being specifically something about her. Yeah. We didn't get much from her other than like, I saw him like it, it this always kind of bothers me in at like D and D tables where like things are omitted and the other players aren't like, well, where were you? Cause she doesn't mention like the town she was in. She doesn't matter like what was happening. Just like, I saw him. Um, so it's, it's kind of like, purposely vague but it seems like we might get another conversation later on where we get some of that context or maybe they purposely kept it out because maybe they're going to revisit the crown keepers again you know for like another side story and they're not quite sure where would they be or what would be happening but but i think you make an interesting point that she is so you know what's the whole six degrees from kevin bacon whatever yeah six <laughs> um, degrees of separation yeah yeah um it is very interesting, though, that she is so closely. The connections are so short to get to to connect the two of them together. Yeah. And she did actually mention a, a, where she was, but I don't know if it was it was so it was such like mm. in in conversation that I, I couldn't tell if it was just Amy like, yes, ending. Um, you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Was it a mod? Uh, no, Zephra, because Orem, oh, I thought Orem, she was like, just saying she had been there. <clears throat> See that, so that's possible because it was such like in flow that it was hard to exactly okay. determine her meaning. But like, I guess Orem said he was from Zephra, and she was like, "Yeah, that, I, that's where I was," because like implying okay, that's yeah. where Dariax was. But I yeah. don't have like extreme confidence in that, like saying that. Okay, yeah, she was definitely there because it could be just. Okay. It could be several different reasons why that it just came off that way, but maybe that's not no, really that makes that does that does make more sense though, because I was thinking she was just making conversation on like places she's been, and that does track much better. Um, by the way, the two of them had an awesome conversation, um, and this is kind of mm -hmm. what I was trying to when I was fumbling earlier about Amy being at the table. The way she navigated the conversation with Orem, I thought just felt. Um, like there was some comment where she was like, you know, um, about her being like a secretly romantic or something that Orm, Orm said something. And she was like, oh yeah, you are too. I can tell or something. Yeah. It was just, it was just like a very sweet conversation, <clears throat> but very, also very witty and quick. Witty's maybe not the right word, but they played off each other very well. I yeah. thought, um, all that to say, yeah, I didn't put that together with Zephra, but that makes more sense in hindsight. Which, which. Also, sorry, um, we know from the start of this campaign that they were, were they left in Zephra or we know so, Dariak stayed behind with Opal. Right. But where were they? Well, like a whole year had passed and now even longer, however long right. the events of campaign three have been, but. I think Orm said a few months. Yeah, at, at the end of EXU Prime, they weren't in Zephra. Um, right. So yeah, I don't know. I wonder why they would be there, especially since Orem is not there, like not with them, you know? Like, he's their connection to Zephra. Well, I, I, <clears throat> going back to episode one, I can't remember if the phrasing was they all went to Zephra, Keyleth sort of gave this mission to Orem and Fern, uh, and then there's a specific data point where Matt basically says, 
um, Dariax has chosen to stay behind with Opal. So that would make sense, them being in Zephra. They just stayed um, there? Yeah, if that's where they had originally gone. Yeah, and well, we know they at least went, so... It's at least, you know, plausible. And mm -hmm. uh, I guess it's just as easy that they could have gone back for whatever reason. Maybe because they yeah. knew, maybe they felt safe there because of Orem and because the Tempest, yeah. even though Keyless not there, but they maybe right. wouldn't have known that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There's also the whole aspect yeah. of um, the secret, like residuum production there. So like maybe that, or whatever reason is tied into whatever the crown keepers were doing. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so again, I don't even know if we can like take it to the bank that she actually was in Zephra, but I think, I think with close surety, we can, that you saying that checks the box for me. Um, okay. So that's Denise. Uh, Bordor. This, Seemingly, <laughs> seemingly um, well-to-do, uh, you know, well-meaning yet not proficient in battle character, sheep herder, who has seemingly developed um, magical affinity, an affinity of sorts. Um, let's talk about this because I, I think you said you're you're wondering how much. <clears throat> I don't know what's going is authentic on. here. <laughs> I feel like there's several possibilities. Um, one, he just is a farmer and he's just having the worst day of his life. <laughs> and, you know, just teleported here has powers now for some reason, maybe ruin is born or something like that. So there's basically option a is he's telling the truth and he is just kind of this, I don't know what's happening to me. <clears throat> Option two is he's like, it's a, it's an act. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the purpose of that would be. I'm not saying he's like secretly a bad guy or like secretly like part of the Ruby Vanguard or something, but like, yeah, it's an act for whatever reason. And he is way more in tune and, and capable than he's letting on. Um, but what's interesting is I think Orum made it like a nat 20 insight check on, on something he said. I think it was that his powers were new, um, <clears throat> which, you know, it's at least possible that the man has a crazy deception and the Nat 20 like wasn't enough. Or it could just be that maybe the powers are new, but he still is putting on an act and is not being earnest with who he actually yeah, is. Um, I, I don't know if this was a Reddit comment, so I apologize for not attributing this because uh, I don't know if it was a Reddit comment or if it was actually someone in the show. But there was a comment made about... Actually, this would have been not in the show now in hindsight, but how this solstice it seems to be like loosing certain enchantments and things like that. Like maybe Bordor had like latent magical energies that he or his family were unable to tap into until this moment has now occurred. And now like yeah. this magical power has sort of been unleashed um, and again, I'm sorry, I can't attribute that. I, it was like, I was scanning, but I saw it and was like, Ooh, I really like, I like that. Like the, uh, the elder on Namek, like unlocking Gohan's potential. I never saw it. Sorry. Oh, you are such a liar. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, could be. And here's where we're going to the deep end with this third. This no, third there's potential. a third option. There's a third right. option. I can always know when you Pepe Sylvia, it's going to be a good ride. <laughs> and this one stems from, I don't know why, but his energy. So not even necessarily like the characters being uh -huh. necessarily too similar, but just like the energy of this character reminded me of, of another guest character from campaign one. Um, Lionel Gayhart, who was played by John Hedder, Napoleon Dynamite. Um <clears throat> Oh, that actor, that's cool. Yeah. So he, he guessed it in campaign one and uh, they just have like a similar kind of energy. And so I started thinking yeah. about it and uh, without getting too in the weeds on it, uh, Lionel Gayhart was this uh, totem barbarian and his like totem animal was a duck. And so there was this kind of like 
funny fan theory just because of how he acted and stuff that were like, is Lionel like a duck that was transformed into a human? And like, that's like why his personality is so like the way it is. Um, and so I'm wondering if Bordor is like a dog that was transformed into a human for some reason. Like his last name is dog son. And he made a big to do about like, my dad's not a dog. Like, Oh my, my gosh, dad's I'm, not having a dog. This, I'm having this moment. And what, what are great sheep herders? Dogs. Border collies, specifically right. border collies, and his oh name is Bordor. <laughs> yes, that was my next point in the in the. That right, I'm all in them. on this. I'm all in on this. I love it. The light bulb just went off. Yeah, this is like, a great theory. And he said his father raised sheep dogs, mm. and so like border collies are sheep dogs. Like, I don't know. I know it's kind of off Bordor the wall. Dog son, this is nuts, dude. This is nuts enough to be true. And then this this is like the weakest. There, these these are all kind of a stretch, but this is like the weakest point is the fact that he is his brother's sick and he's he's traveling to wherever uh, the Pride's in or Pride's call or something in Wild Mount and he has like his note written so he like doesn't forget or whatever. Like what adult <laughs> human needs a, like a remind like you Bro. know? And so it made Bro. me think of Balto. Well. <laughs> Balto. <laughs> the dog that had to go on yes. like the mission to get the medicine. Like, yes. Bordor's trying to go yeah, get the medicine for his brother. You know, that time in fourth grade where everyone wanted to watch a movie and I chose Balto and everyone else chose Space Jam. And, you know, I was the only one to watch Balto. <laughs> and he turned it off. Maybe go watch Space Jam. So it's a good movie, though. Space Jam movie. sucked. Space Jam's also good. It is. But bro, the whole like knock on the directions, I know who I'm talking to. No, I'm terrible at directions, but <clears throat> I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, interesting theory. Yeah, I, I was going to say before you said that bombshell of a third theory, when you're going back, to, back and forth between the first two, I was thinking, well, I don't think he's being deceitful because um, he seems earnest in... I think there was that that great moment where like maybe it was Emily or someone was like, I want to insight check you, but since you willingly went prone in combat, I'm going to assume that, uh, you know, you're good. Uh, but interestingly enough, it would be crazy if it is option one, like, oh, I'm just a sheep herder, like is sort of like this half truth. And he's just afraid to share like I used to be a dog. Notably, what do dogs do when they feel threatened? They go prone and... Don't hurt me. And, you know, wet themselves and, wet themselves, and vomit right. like he did too. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but like I said, the whole Lionel thing, like that was just like a fan theory. So there isn't like precedent for like an animal being turned into a, mm -hmm. a character. Um, but I mean, it is D and D. I mean, that we have things such as like true polymorph and stuff. So, I mean, plus we have the craziness of the apogee solstice. There's definitely a lot of holes in it, but like, I don't know. It's at least something. Nah, I'm all about it. Um, I'm shipping this theory. I love it. Which, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know why he would have powers. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know why he has spell. Well, cast. maybe, maybe he was a caster and got, like you said, polymorphed. His whole family got polymorphed into dogs or something. And, you know, he's back to his true form that maybe he hasn't ever, you know, skinny hasn't ever walked in before. Um, I don't know. Maybe his yeah. family were powerful casters that made an enemy like of cursed someone. or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. People can be werewolves. They can be, you know, a flock of dogs. So, or as my wife did in our session last night with uh, conjure animals, she conjured a. I don't know if it's called a flock, but we called them a flock, a flock of rabbits. So, not very useful in combat, but you know, they all just die instantly. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so love the theory. I'm all about it. Um, anything else about Bordor before we move on to Prism? Uh, let me just look really quick. Um, but yeah, I, last thing on him is just that I don't really don't know what to make of it. But I do think that like speaking to his, you know, 
newish I don't know, like inexperience, I guess, of like with mm-hmm. everything. I think that could be like intentional character RP. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's hard to say if it is. So, yeah, you know. it definitely sells it better if he also out of character is a bit like, oh, yeah, which dice is it? Yeah. You know, so uh, moving on to Prism, uh, like we already mentioned, love Emily. She's great. Um, Prism, who is this mage from the Cobalt Soul, out to collect survey responses. Um, what was your, what'd you make of her? What'd you think? Very, very interested. Very, again, this is kind of like, well, and I, we didn't say this about uh, Utkarsh's character, but obviously this is true for his character as well. I would love to just be behind the scenes during these conversations with Matt about like creating these characters, especially if he is a dog. Um, but <laughs> with Prism, uh, it's cool that she's from the, again, the shadow fell, I'm assuming she keeps using the word shadow realm, but right, I, right. that has to be what she's meaning. I would assume, um, so interesting that that's where her character's from and that she has this kind of deep connection to the matron of Ravens, uh, given the greater context of everything that's happening right now. Um, so I think and there's another, <clears throat> another data point of the matron of Ravens continuing to seemingly be a central figure in all this and everything that's happening. Um, yeah. Not necessarily with her arc specifically, but um, I do think it's interesting that this keeps coming back to the forefront, this specific deity. Yeah. So, so I'm just, I'm curious to see what's going on there. Like, uh, the Shadowfell is not like a nice place, you know? So like when she says she's from there, um, obviously the Cobalt Soul like operates out of, the prime material plane. I'm sure they have yeah. like, I probably don't have like, like an office I, in the shadow. Yeah. Film, but like I thought it was like, have... I grew up, I grew up there, but mm-hmm. I've been working in, you know, wherever the cobalt soul is wild mount. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, they've got like places uh, everywhere. Um, yeah. And then did you know the detail where they were asking her like why she was doing the survey? And she said like kind of offhand, um, Basically, the Cobalt Soul knew the Apogee Souls was going to happen, and the phrasing she used was they knew it was going to be cataclysmic. And so they wanted to get as much like information from people as possible. I just thought that was... I don't know. It gave me like vibes of like when you see like a meteor movie, and like you find out that like NASA knows the whole time that like, you know, everyone's doomed. Um, I just thought the phrasing was really interesting. Like they knew it was going to be cataclysmic, not like a big deal, but like cataclysmic feels a little bit more negative than just like they knew it was going to be a big one. So I don't know. Did you pick up on that or am I forcing it? I I didn't pick up on that specific moment, but I'm trying to decide if I want to go into this because I think it was just me being confused. So I don't want to like needlessly complicate things, but I was I was just confused on why, like, and I guess it's possible she's lying, but I don't think that's the case. I think she, I, seemingly she is working for the Cobalt Soul and is, has been sent to do these surveys. Um, but I thought it was just weird that, like, that seems like such a, I don't know if trivial is the right word, but such, like, a mundane thing if you're expecting, like, cataclysm. Like, how is that on the list of important things to, to take care of? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, where I was confused is I originally thought that like the Cobalt Soul knew like everything that was going to happen and knew people were going to be teleported randomly. And she was there to survey on that. But then yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. But then I, it was somebody in the discord cleared up to me and was like, no, she was teleporting somewhere to go do the survey. But then this craziness happened and she just ended up here, but like was still just doing what she was going to be doing right? wherever she was supposed to be going. And that, that parsed for me. Um, So then I was able to be like, okay, this makes sense again. But if she said the cataclysm comment, that throws it out of whack for me again. Yeah. And maybe it could have also just been a slip of the tongue from Emily on just trying to say like, yeah, I knew it was going to be a big, a big deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, so. it is an apogee solstice, so like it is right. a big right. deal. Um, yeah. Right. But we do know that um, 
Bo from Campaign 2 works for the Cobalt Soul, and she and Caleb were in deep. Like They were there, like, you know. So the Cobalt mm-hmm. Soul knew, at least to some extent, of the scary potential of what was happening, assuming Bo had kept them in the loop enough for them to know that. But at the Who's- very least, they would have some inkling. Who's the leader of the Cobalt Soul? Um, I don't know if there is like a one above all as far yeah, as that okay. organization goes. Um, <clears throat> I don't think there is, or, or if there is, they haven't really been yeah, okay. on screen. Um, so yeah, my best guess would be that they just knew that one, it's an apogee solstice and just in general, what that means that there could be a lot of craziness going on Two, maybe some of that being flavored by what Bo knew and told them. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, <clears throat> I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Um, what else about her character? <clears throat> um, or is there anything else? I mean, basically what we, we've already said, but just how all those things work together that, mm-hmm. you know, she's from the shadow fell. There's this connection with the matron of Ravens. Um, not like, not a connection, like as in, you know, she's got a direct line to the matron, but just that mm. the matron's involved with her at all in terms of backstory and whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, again, just the, the mon- I can't think of a good word for it again, but the, the, the triviality of like being a survey taker, um, which could just be like a, it could have just been a bit like a funny, like, this is how I'm yeah. like, you know, this will be how I introduce, like, this is what the yeah. Cobalt Soul had me doing. And then that might be it. Um, but if there's anything deeper there to what's going on. Um, but finally her, her spell book, I thought was really cool. Denios and it yeah. being like this consciousness of a, yeah, an ancient mage or whatever. I don't, yeah. I wasn't, I don't really think there's been any precedent for that type of thing. Um, yeah, I thought it was like a really cool, like stylistic creative invention of just like the wizard's class of having their spell book. Um, is, is it her from like, is it her familiar? Cause she can cast spells through it. Or does that have something to do with like the awakened mind or whatever that she casts? You, you can cast spells through your familiar. I don't think there's precedent for casting it through your spell book. Um, well, I mean, isn't the implication that it's like more than her spell book? Right. Yes. But I, I was just saying in general, mechanically, if it is just like the flare version of her spell book. Um, so I'm, I'm looking up what manifest. It's man, manifest mind at sixth level. You can conjure forth the mind of your awakened spell book. As a bonus action, while the book's on your person, you can cause the mind to manifest as a tiny spectral object hovering above. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you guys in the comments, let us know, because we're not sure. Okay, whenever you cast a wizard spell on your turn, you can cast as if you were in the spectral mind's space. So that's why she was casting through it. So it's not oh. it's not functionally a familiar, so it was because of that yeah. spell. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> how um, cool how what a smart player like in the moment to like mechanically be like well i'm thinking about Orin got swallowed mm. like how smart it was that she sends the spell book in dimension door boom done yeah so, mm. um but yeah i'm just curious again you know maybe it's just really cool ideas and flavors on her part for mm-hmm. the character of her spell book but i'm just wondering if if there's more to uncover yeah. there yeah. Uh, are you going to move on from her? Um, yeah. I wanted to park on Ashton for a second. Um, Ashton's conversation with Ladna, where, you know, Ladna's obviously having a tough time and it's basically like, I think it was like, you know, what if Imogen's like got blasted into space or something? And Ashton's like, all right, we'll go to space. Yeah. And she's like, well, what if she got vaporized? And she's like, well, you know, we brought you back. We'll find a way. And um, I just loved his line. You know, we don't we don't leave anyone behind, which I thought was so. Sorry, you're gonna make fun of me. Ashton's one of my favorites. Um, just like <laughs> this sweet character, ultimately, who has such like a genuine nature towards others, 
Um, I think of like the beggar or the person passed out drunk in the f- first like few episodes where he told the party not to rob rob that person. Yeah, we don't take copper. Um, yeah. Um, all this to say, Ashton, who was left by the nobodies, here he is several episodes later saying, like, we don't leave people behind. And yeah. he never he's never showed that hurting him or deeply bothering him but it made me wonder if there was a bit more trauma there that he hasn't fully shown about basically nearly dying and waking up to find nobody except for Milo um right so i don't know i just i just loved that line knowing what we know about him yeah for sure uh 100% agree uh, i think it I think it definitely speaks to his character that, you know, even though he hasn't shown those things like that clearly is how he feels and that, you know, traumatized him. Um, So, yeah, I I think he's even said, said something similar before about like making a big point about like, we don't leave anyone behind. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. You know, Talison's just good, man. Yeah, it's great. Um. Just a small detail from him. Um, what else from this episode? Um, or is there anything else? We 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 already talked about it, but um, in addition to like these people being teleported, um, I think it's just so weird that they also heard Ludness's speech, um, which yeah. no one in. Um, no one on screen that we interacted with in Uthodern mentioned at all wanky teleportation or hearing this random speech, you know? Um, so again, we already kind of like touched on the possibilities there, but I think that's very strange. Um, don't really know what to make of it. Oops. Messed up our cameras, but we good. Um, other than that, <clears throat> The only other thing really is, you know, they are in Asilra, which is uh, where Vasselheim is, which the Critical Role show has been to before. But other than Vasselheim, we haven't spent too much time there. Um, So I'm interested to see what they run into, where they go. And uh, we know that Ludness is at least presumably from Vasselheim if his... That's at least what he's told people. Um, so, you know, similarly to how Team Wildmount went to Malayasmir and got some lewdness lore, I could see this team heading to Ludness's birthplace or home um, mm. and maybe finding out more there. And then maybe the crews, you know, meet back up with what they've each found and there's some plan of action to be had. Otherwise, I don't really know what they're going to do in Asilra, which obviously the possibilities are endless, but... That at least makes sense to me. Yeah, I'd be curious how they would get on the plot line of going to his home place. Because, like, Molesmere was such a more um, prolific spot. Um, and the group doesn't know that he's from originally Osilra. Um, So I'm curious how that'll... I think you're, you're right. I think it makes sense for them to go to that place. I'm just curious to see how it kind of pans out for him getting on... For them getting on that storyline. Yeah. I mean, it could just coincide, you know, they're heading towards civilization, as it were. Could just be that that's where they end up is wherever he's from. And maybe like, you know, just they find that out via talking to people. Um, But yeah, if not, if it's not that clean cut and easy, I just imagine, you know, wherever they end up, they're going to go talk to authority figures there and they could then find out like if they reveal that lewdness did all this stuff, then maybe whoever they're talking to that's in the know here would be like lewdness. Oh yeah. He's from around here. And maybe that would point them there or something. Um, I'm interested and we're a ways away from this, obviously, but I'm interested in how this group is going to get back. Um, How they're going to ultimately teleport. Maybe they won't, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. And maybe they find another teleportation staff. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. And they, 
Matt made some comment, I think, or there was some... Where they are in Isilro, they're far from Vasselheim, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, right. But Someone asked if they could go there or how far away it was, and he was like, no, you're a ways away. Yeah, so I, I don't think we'll go there, but that could also be kind of a, an end game mm. for their arc is to get there, and then there's obviously, assuming the magic in the world works, there's definitely people there that could teleport mm-hmm. them. Plus, it yeah. might just be an interesting place to as like the heart of civilization just you know get some answers maybe yeah okay well um lots to discuss guys uh let us know what you guys thought in the comments and give us some of your theories and ideas uh, and join the discord we talk a lot about it down in uh the discord um i guess the discord's below us or something <laughs> <laughs> it's down there in the discord um but yeah anything else will no, I think that's it. Um, just a reminder, we got Candela Obscura tonight. And speaking of the Discord, we'll be um, chatting along in there as we're watching tonight. So please join us if you'd like to. Yep. Okay. Uh, thumbnail. Thumbnail. I would say, I know this is like generic, but maybe just like hyped or excited because we got yeah. do another you know, new, char- new characters and yeah and stuff like that. Okay, sure. All right. <clears throat> I thought you were going to... I was like, oh, we're doing props? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for watching. I guess that's it. Until next time, my friends. See you later. <laughs>